Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. This episode is a recorded conversation between myself, co host Joe Stewart, and Connor O'Shea. Connor is a personal trainer, nutrition coach, and yoga teacher from Ireland, currently based in Melbourne, Australia. Connor is also a certified GMB trainer, which is one aspect of his work which particularly interested me. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what is GMB? Well, GMB is a training method which incorporates yoga, martial arts, mindful movement, gymnastics, and physiotherapy. It actually personally helped me after my surgery, after my stomach was removed. I started off doing Pilates and gentle yoga and stretching and gradually progressed from there. And then about six months after the surgery, I actually enrolled in their level one rings course. And I actually grew in strength quite quickly. By the end of it, I was doing stuff I would not have imagined I could do after the surgery. So it was something that really helped me. So I'm really happy to share what they do with the world. In this conversation, we'll learn how Connor learned about yoga and how a trip to India changed his perspective on life. We learn about his approach to nutrition and coaching. He also shares his philosophy on living a happy and healthy life and shares some wisdom he learned on his life journey. Now, before we start in this conversation, I want to talk about our Yoga for Digestive Ease workshop. This topic is really close to Joe and my heart. Probably know if you've listened to this podcast before, I'll be sharing my story and some tips on yoga and meditation that helped me in my recovery. There'll be some gentle movements, yin sequences, and some lush meditations and that is in pinnacle wellness in upway sunday the 8th of april at 10 30 a.m so if you're in the melbourne area and that part of town you should definitely make your way along we'll leave a link in the show notes all right so on with the conversation all righty so thanks for joining us connor we're really having me oh no problem we're really excited to have you here today so perhaps as we ask all our guests you could start by telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up i can detect a bit of an accent there yes a slight one (laughs) so i'm from ireland Mm -hmm. i grew up in a place called clare in southwest of ireland when i was 18 i left and i went to study in the uk so i spent four years in edinburgh studying sport and exercise science and that was kind of when I started getting more into I guess more of an idea of what field I wanted to get into after that Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like an arts degree for for the kind of fitness side of things yeah it's quite broad you can go down many different pathways Mm -hmm. and after that I finished up there then I worked as a personal trainer in Ireland for two years and then I went traveling so I went to India and Thailand for two years. I lived there for two years. And then I went back home for about six or seven months. Mm -hmm. And then I came out to Australia. So I came to Melbourne in 2015, ended 2015. So I've been here for just over two years now. And what what brought you to Australia in particular? Yeah, people always ask me that. (laughs) Like Melbourne is the highest quality of living in the world so it's a bit of a no-brainer right and it has the best coffee in the world yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> cheers to that yeah. <laughs> there is a strong history of irish people coming to australia as well mm-hmm. um a lot of my friends would have been out here in their early 20s mm-hmm. i came out kind of in my 26 27 i came out here mm-hmm. 
so it was a bit of a no-brainer. My sister was out in Perth for two years, and I guess it was just a really good option to take. Uh, also with the fitness industry here mm-hmm. Melbourne has a really and Australia in general has a really really strong fitness scene people are very very health conscious I found it would be good for developing myself as well as a practitioner so yeah there was a lot of positives and not a lot of negatives about coming up maybe just a bit far away from Ireland is probably yeah. a negative <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have modern technology to help mm-hmm. there yeah exactly <laughs> you know I can talk on Skype to, to family and friends so it's it doesn't feel as far away now as it would have in the, in the past. When you're writing letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Send them over on the boat for three months. <laughs> I want to wind back a little bit. You mentioned yeah. that you went to India, and mm-hmm. I believe that you've also done yoga. Yeah. So did you go to India for yoga, or is that where you discovered it? Kind of a mixture of both. So in this was back in 2011, I did a one-month course of Bikram yoga. That was kind of my introduction to yoga in Ireland, in Limerick. That was kind of the biggest city. Was that in an Irish winter? Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It was really nice going into the hot studio. And then I decided to go traveling later that year. I was very close to going to Australia then, but I decided that I wanted to do something a bit different. So I just sold everything and decided to go backpacking around India. And... At the time, initially, it was to do uh, volunteer teaching. So in the southwest of India, in a place called Kerala. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been there, love yeah, it. Yeah. So yeah, so it was nice, but then I ended up going at the wrong time. So I went at wet season. Mm-hmm. So it was actually a really difficult experience. Oh, yeah. right. So it was the first... And everyone who I talked to about Kerala, they're like, oh, it's amazing. Um, (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) So I went in the end of May, start of June, just started raining. And in Ireland, it rains quite a bit, Mm -hmm. quite a lot. And then in Kerala, it rained more than Ireland, but over the course course of three months. So it's just literally every day it was raining and... It was, yeah, it was just a really challenging experience. And then working in the school, mm-hmm. I guess it wasn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was a big thing as well as like having expectations about things and then up being upset because they don't reach what you were expecting from it. And I did that for two months. And then after two months, I was like, okay, I have no plan. I still want to keep traveling. I don't know where I'm going to go. And then I decided to do a yoga teacher training course. So I was just looking online. I didn't know anything about yoga at this stage. I was basically just looking at nice websites. Mm-hmm. And that was my gauge. And I didn't really know a lot of people who were into yoga then either. Whereas now I can easily just reach out to someone and they'll give me, you know, the best studio in whatever city in the world. So I went to Mysore and my That's generally a good place yeah, to go. yeah. <laughs> that time, was some good web research. <laughs> yeah. And at the time I didn't know anything about Mysore, didn't know anything about Ashtanga Yoga. I ended up going to the school and doing Hatha yoga in, in Mysore. So that shows you how much I knew about Mysore. <laughs> um, but the course, it offered Ashtanga, but talking to the guy who was running the course, the organizer said, you know, if you don't have much experience, Ashtanga is a bit intense, which I completely agree with. So I did that course and that was kind of the start of, I guess, the path that I'm on now, really. You know, the sports science gave me an idea that I wanted to work with general population, wanted to do like coaching as opposed to, you know, physiotherapy or teaching or anything like that. But then that course, over the course of that month, that was very transformative for me. I 
had you know I think around that time meditation was becoming much more talked about with blogs and podcasts if there were podcasts back then but there was that month that I really got a taste of like doing proper meditation practice and proper yoga practice and I just found that my body opened up so much that month and I just found yeah the changes were really noticeable in four weeks which was huge and then after that, I traveled around India for four weeks. So I went from Kerala, I traveled all the way up to Srinagar and Kashmir. So the very northwest, all on bus. So wow. it was really intense, mm. super intense. There would have weeks. been some like 24 hour oh, bus yeah. trips yeah, in yeah. that. Really like cra- crazy four weeks, but it was great. It was really, really good. And I think the biggest thing I got from there was a sense of gratitude. You kind of really, you don't really realize how lucky you are until you go somewhere like India sometimes. Mm. I guess I was quite entitled as well, younger in Ireland and expecting, I guess, feeling hard done by situations and not actually dwelling on the positives that I, all these amazing things that I have in my life already. So that was a huge lesson as well. And then after that, I went to Thailand. So I went traveling in Thailand and I did a Vipassana retreat a month later. So in the course of about three months, I did um yoga teacher training course and then a 10 day Vipassana retreat and that was just everything kind of shifted after that kind of three month block really just kind of switched the direction that I was going in and just kind of learned a lot about myself as well that was kind of a big thing developed a lot of self-awareness through them practices and then I taught yoga and teaching uh, English teaching in Thailand for a year and a half so I was really lucky when I was in Thailand. I'm sure everyone can kind of relate to, especially if you've done a yoga teacher training course, you don't really feel ready to no teach one feels ready. at all. Yeah. Um, and I would have been, you know, quite very stiff, strength training background, background in field sports. So Gaelic games, which is very like Aussie rules. So it's basically like a, the same issues an Aussie rules player has, like tight hamstrings, just really stiff. So thinking about teaching was the last thing I was going to do and I wanted to, I was going to use it to basically complement my own personal practice and use maybe some elements from my coaching in like personal training, but I had no intention of actually teaching yoga. And then when I was in India or in Thailand, I went to the local teacher's class in Khan Ken in the north east of Thailand. And I went to her class and it was really, really good. It was like a vinyasa flow. Um, There was a lot of elements of ashtanga in it she used a lot of the primary series in her in her classes and then just talking to her i was saying that i was a yoga teacher but i didn't know if i wanted to or i didn't have the confidence to pursue it and then in like over the course of three weeks i kept on seeing her i mm-hmm. met her like three times uh, so twice in the town which is you know random like could have happened but then the third time I met her about five hours away I was away for the weekend in a place called Loy so like really random and ended up bumping into her there as well and we started talking and then when we were talking there she said look if you're really interested in doing teaching you can come on a like an internship so you can do free classes for three months and then after that you can teach at my studio so that gave me a really good kind of starting place for, for actually teaching yoga, yeah, gave me the confidence and just got the ball rolling. And then I was teaching, it was only Thai people in the class I was, <laughs> I was teaching. <laughs> so it was, it was a good experience to improve the, the little bit of Thai I had as well. So that kind of got the ball rolling with teaching yoga. And I'd imagine as well, improve your nonverbal teaching skills. Yeah, big time. Yeah, massively. And 
the, I, I just remember going from Thailand and then I went back to Ireland and I taught a workshop in Ireland and it was fine because I was teaching in English and everyone understood English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was kind of the how I got going with um, my travels in India and got first exposed to yoga. Yeah. yeah, and how awesome to have had the, the teacher training experience in like the country that is the birthplace of yoga and then yeah. just got to see how it just interweaves into everyone's everyday lives, even if they don't practice mm-hmm. on the mat. But to also have a lot of that integration time for yourself mm-hmm. where, like I remember when I was traveling in India, like I could go to the class mm-hmm. and then I could just kind of hang out for the rest of the day. I didn't yeah. have to like rush off to work and yeah. kind of think about different stuff. Like mm-hmm. you can really just kind of bask in your yoga glow and yeah read yoga books and ponder philosophy yeah. all day yeah it's a really nice lifestyle you don't have to it's much different than mm. the, the western lifestyle definitely as you mentioned it was quite a life-changing experience i'm just wondering when you got back to ireland were people like who is this person that's come back uh I, like I, don't, I remember talking to my father and he was he definitely saw a big shift in mm-hmm. the way i was thinking about things mm-hmm. And I guess that's kind of having, you know, it can be anything really, whether it's, it can be yoga or it can be any sort of movement practice as a way of life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just something that you do. It's part of you. It's not really this thing that you do for two two months and then you forget about it and mm-hmm. then you do it again. It just becomes part of you. So because it, I guess when you start training properly and you train consistently and you get the benefits from it and you reframe why you're training as well which is a huge thing i find with people i'm working with now with general population is a lot of the times the reason that you're training you're not really getting to the root of why you actually need it so you might feel that it's solely for an aesthetic goal Mm -hmm. like people come to you because they want to lose weight or something exactly yeah and then you see like i think one of the biggest things about my job it's it's more education than anything else you're actually educating people on you know what it is they're trying to achieve and the reasons behind it and getting them away from that kind of it's not necessarily a shallow goal but it's probably not going to be a goal that's going to keep them motivated long term so that was my big lesson as well was just this is a movement practice now that i have and it's an amazing tool that i can access forever and i want to basically pass it on to as many people as i can as well you know passing on that mindset as well is a huge thing and so do you kind of bring it in in subtle ways when you're kind of opening people up to the other benefits of a movement practice beyond how your body looks or do you just kind of let it gradually take effect and most people kind of feel those like mental and emotional benefits Mm. for themselves yeah so that's a really good question so i think the biggest thing about a coach is that you're if you tell someone what to do they won't do it you know it's like telling (laughs) even though they've come to you to tell them what to do (laughs) they won't do it we'll we don't like being told what to do as humans um your job is to guide someone to see what they should do so you're basically creating an environment and you know asking them questions about what they want to achieve and then getting them exposing them to different movements or different modalities that they might actually uh, resonate with Mm -hmm. and then when they figure out what it is they want to do and what motivates them everyone's job is way easier Mm. you know so that i think that's coming more and more the more i'm coaching people the more i'm realizing that at the start when i started coaching people after university i was just like they clearly they're just you know it's their fault 
they're wrong. I'm, it's not my fault as a coach. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm telling him to not eat this or to do that exercise three times a week and he's still not doing it. So I can't do anything else, you know? And then you start realizing that it's how you approach everything with, with the clients. So a lot of it would be like, it's called motivational interviewing where you basically, it comes from psychology, but we use it a lot in, in the nutrition course that I've done. And it's just about basically setting up the sessions, setting up how you're talking to people. So they, you're just basically asking them questions and getting them to figure it out themselves. And I found that very, very beneficial for people's motivation. And I've also found getting them to focus more on skills as opposed to like aesthetics. I find really, if, if let's say a really good skill or goal that I love people to focus on is a chin up. So it gets them away from fat loss and weight and everything like that. But if you have, if you lose the weight and you lose the fat loss, the chin up is much more accessible to you. But you're getting away from that goal, which is really, really, it's like you're just layering it in a, and uh, presenting it to, to them in a different way. And over the last, really, since I've started coaching GMB, system and and that has really I've seen a massive shift now in my clients are really it's much easier to motivate them because we're focusing just on skills and then it's it's like they're called keystone habits so a keystone habit means that when you get this habit other things start positively coming into place as well so like exercise is a keystone habit you start exercising consistently and you're enjoying it you're not doing it as a form of punishment and then other things, you start probably going to bed earlier so you can get up earlier. You probably start eating healthier because it will fuel your performance. And you start doing all these other positive things as a kind of knock-on effect because of this positive keystone habit. So that's what I found clients who, um, you know, getting them working on handstands or you know, the locomotion movements that, mm -hmm. that you were doing with me in the workshop. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they see, you know, they see, oh, you know, this can progress to this movement, to this movement, to this movement, and it gets mm. them excited. Mm. And then it just starts looking after itself. And, you know, they start training. Like I have a, a, one of my female clients, she started training with me last January, 12 months, and just came in to, to join the gym. That was it, really. And now, you know, just over 12 months later, she is focusing on doing her very close to coming off the wall with her handstand. So, which is a huge thing mm, from someone mm. who probably would have been just on machines mm -hmm. mm. and she just loves it. You know, she came to the workshop that you were at as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's great. You just see people transforming and that. And now she has this tool that it's just this automatic thing that she does pretty much every morning now or probably four or five mornings a week. And she loves it. She mm. enjoys it a lot. And then my job is I'm basically just guiding her now. I'm not trying to motivate her to actually get in in the morning. She's mm -hmm. there early. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that everything kind of flows together much easier as a result mm -hmm. of that when the mindset shifts. And so it sounds like a lot of people initially come to you because they want your help getting into shape or they want to lose weight or they want to get fitter or things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you ever have the opposite issue mm -hmm. where you feel like people like we just spoke to Janet Lowndes who's mm -hmm. a yoga teacher and uh -huh. a psychologist who deals a lot with eating disorders and mm -hmm. I know like that is an issue at gyms as well with mm -hmm. people overtraining and sometimes you're really worried about people's safety and also 
it's just quite heartbreaking when you see someone who is mm. obviously not happy in their own skin. Mm. How do you navigate that type of a situation? Because mm. you don't want to just send someone away because mm-hmm. they'll probably go to someone else or just kind of mm. work themselves into the ground at home. Mm-hmm. Or do you refer yeah. to a counsellor or...? Yeah, that's like I've actually never been in that situation with a client, but that's a really, really common thing. It's also, first of all, if I was in that situation, that would be something I'd refer out, definitely, because beyond my scope of practice, that's a huge thing as well in, in the fitness industry. It's so unregulated that you have, you know, you might find that people are trying to solve all their clients' problems, and it's it's probably putting yourself in a compromising situation and you're not giving the client, uh, you're not giving them the best treatment for what they need help with, basically. It's the same with like an injury. If someone has a, an acute injury, I'm not a physiotherapist. I'll, I'll, um, I have a physiotherapist that I work with in Coburg and I send them to him. So with that, it also depends on, I think the gym environment as well. The gym I'm in is more it wouldn't I, I find the more aesthetic bodybuilding style gyms would have that issue more so but you're kind of more focused on health <laughs> health and movement and it's more I, I haven't encountered that but I know that it's a serious problem still like overtraining burnout and then it becomes like obsessive undereating or overeating or the whole you're using exercise as punishment Mm. And then you're, as a result of that punishment, you're, in, you know, oh, I smashed myself today, so now I'm going to gorge on food. I'm going to reward myself. Like I've this. Exactly. Mm. And, that, and that's the whole, it's like that mindset. It's, you're, you're going in opposite directions. You're overtraining on one end, so you're just, you know, smashing your, uh, your whole system. And then on the other end, you're either undereating or overeating. So that's a pretty complex situation. Um... I guess if I was in that situation, I'd refer out first and then just, again, educating people on more is not always better. In fact, it's generally worse. What we use in GMB is called autoregulation. So autoregulation basically means that you perform or you train based on how you feel on the day. So, you know, let's say you do, if it's yoga, you do, let's say you did a really strong 90-minute vinyasa practice or ashtanga practice yesterday. And you felt amazing. And today you're just white. You didn't sleep well last night. Your kids were up all night drinking or eating poorly or anything. Or you might be feel a bit run down. The next day, you shouldn't be at least maintaining that level, that 90 minute intense practice or even more. You should be, you know, to auto-regulate means, okay, I'm feeling much more tired today. So I'm going to scale it back. I might do a yin practice. I might do some gentle locomotion uh, and just be more, this is where it comes, you know, self-awareness becomes such an important thing now in all of these things. So, you know, when you're training, you're self-aware of what you're doing, but also in your day-to-day life, you know, am I sleeping correctly? Am I eating correctly? You know, how do I feel to actually perform my workout today? If not, then I'll do just a gentle stretching session as a result. So that can help people a lot as well. And that kind of helps people bring them in touch with like, how's my body feeling today exactly. rather than a number they see on the scales yeah. or, you know, an external goal. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of putting them in touch with themselves. Yeah. And one other thing is actually interesting with that. I've just been thinking about this a lot recently is even with productivity. So my issue would always be I 
wouldn't necessarily you know schedule work and then i'd find that i have a big backlog of work and then i would just like spend the whole day doing all of these trying to fit everything into one day and then as a result i'd get stressed and then it was very hard to maintain that and then like my girlfriend taught me about i think called time blocking so kind of like your the way you train the way you do everything else you know you have one or two or three tasks and you do that today and that's it you do like an hour of let's say it's writing or admin or anything like that or programming and i'll do i have an hour block or two hours blocks for that and that's it i have that time and if i don't get it done that time then that's it i, I move on that's the end of it and it's kind of like with the training you know people try and they don't train for two weeks and then they go in and they smash themselves in the gym then they can't walk for three days and then they stop and then it goes into that pattern again does that make sense yeah Yeah. definitely yeah so you can kind of you know use this stuff in all areas of your life whether it's you know fitness or your business or yeah productivity or anything like that yeah it actually leads into another question that i've asked that Mm -hmm. i was thinking about Mm -hmm. the benefits of having i guess a goal orientated movement Mm -hmm. practice where say you work on something like a handstand or a chin Mm -hmm. up where there's definite stages and a real feeling of achievement Mm -hmm. when you reach that goal and it can help you stay on track and then also the potential downsides of structuring your practice like that would you like to talk a little bit about that yeah that's a really good question with everything i guess it is important to have a goal you know like smart goals make it specific measurable attainable realistic and time bound so if it's a handstand i guess it's being understanding how long it's going to take is a huge thing as well so you don't get disheartened exactly or understanding what is needed or if it's a weight loss goal understanding how long it's going to take to lose that weight sustainably so let's just use the handstand as an example in gmb we use it's called the triple a framework so it's called it's assess address apply so with your handstand let's say you just have no background in it and you want to learn how to do a handstand so you assess where you're at first and this is where it's good to have a coach to work with you and you know most people who want to start doing handstands and have no real experience in yoga or anything that requires any of the components of of it would be very tight through the shoulders through the chest you know let's just say your typical office worker and are probably really tight through the hamstrings as well and these are and weak through the core and these are all of the areas that you need to be able to do a handstand so then you would address these areas Uh, So shoulder mobility drills, core exercise, hamstring stretching movements. And this is where the, you know, the elements program or the the locomotion workshops basically focus on all these areas. So like the, the bare locomotion drill is a really good drill for prepping you for handstands. And... and then applying it so applying the movements that you need to do consistently and then understanding kind of the type of time frame it's going to take and then enjoying the process that's a huge thing so like oh i want to get a 10 second handstand in three months if i don't then i'm going to quit and be really frustrated you know that's really never going to serve anyone as a kind of sustainable mindset to have but just realizing that you know i'd love to get a 10 second handstand freestanding i'll give myself a year to do it i'll consult with a teacher i might go to workshops and just actually have a program to work off that's a huge thing you know actually having someone assess you 
and seeing where your limitations are and then giving you a program or coaching you you know on a weekly basis that's going to make it much more attainable as well in a shorter time frame so all of them things will definitely help the person and yeah i guess just enjoying the process is a huge one and i guess like along the way as well if you're working on like shoulder mobility mm-hmm. and core strength like mm-hmm. that will help your everyday comfort and exactly. posture mm-hmm. and just ease of moving yeah through the world yeah and i guess part of your role as a coach as well would be like celebrating the little wins along mm-hmm. the way to kind of you yeah. know, keep people feeling good about themselves and keeping mm-hmm. motivated, even though it is like a longer term goal. Yeah, exactly. It was actually, I started working with uh, two ladies recently, uh, about three weeks in now, and she sent me a text or a Facebook message last week and she was uh, like, oh, I, I, her, her squat was her big issue. Like she wanted to get a squat and open up her hamstrings, her ankles and calves. And she just sent me a message, oh, I, I bent down to pick something up and I could keep my heels on the ground and do a full depth squat. And she, oh, was, wow. she was delighted. You know, yeah, she was so yeah. happy. And it's like, oh, um, now I can get this thing off this bottom shelf without yeah, a struggle. Exactly. So it's kind of, I guess, when people start seeing the, the crossover benefit to what they're doing in day-to-day life or, oh, yeah, you know, I, I bent down to pick up my kids and it was actually, I could hold two of them easily mm-hmm. in a shopping bag, you know, and I guess that's, the whole philosophy behind GMB is all about physical autonomy. Nice. So physical autonomy is basically having a body that serves you. So your body isn't, you know, you're not playing with your kids and you put out your back or you're not at your office job, but your hips and lower back are aching all the time and your upper traps or your shoulders are causing you issues as well, you know. So basically we want to uh, teach people movements that are going to make their life easier for them mm. and make their body serve them whatever whatever the endeavor is yeah i guess uh before we move on too quickly we probably should actually explain to people listening what gmb is mm. and perhaps a bit of um the background and how you became introduced to it yeah yeah so gmb is an education company movement-based educational company and it was created by three guys ryan andy and jarlow who would have quite a mixed background, but would be mostly martial arts, physiotherapy, and education. And they came up with a system to basically help people, teach people physical autonomy for their bodies. And how we achieve that is through, generally we use body weight movements, and we focus on strength, flexibility, and motor control, and we combine that with mindful movement. So every movement that you're doing, you're gonna need a component of strength to execute it. And you're also going to need a component of motor control to be basically to be in control of what you're doing. So let's just use the squat as an example. All right. So you need the actual strength to be able to hold your body in position with your with your quads. Let's use the like an actual loaded squat. So a barbell back squat. You need the strength to actually maintain the weight of the barbell in whatever way you have in it. Then you need the control to actually slowly move yourself down so you're we'll say you're at parallel or slightly below parallel the rep and then you need the flexibility to get into the squat so if you don't have the flexibility you might find that you're putting too much stress on your lower back or on your shoulders so all of these three attributes are needed for for every activity and that's what we focus on and then combining that with mindfulness or self-awareness of what you're doing makes it much easier for you to know how you can improve the movement whilst you're doing it 
so you can be like oh yeah my ankles are really tight today okay so i should probably do something to stretch my calves to open up my ankles um and again all like self-awareness is helps with coaching at the start what we feel that we're doing what we're actually doing is usually different at the start you'll find that like if you go to a class and the teacher adjusts you it can be just minor things but it has a huge impact on your your ability to get into positions long term we all have these little postural habits and i guess if we're just training at home we're often just emphasizing the habits that we already Mm. have rather than working on balancing that out yeah exactly and that's i think it's humbling as well because you think you're doing everything fine and then you go to someone and they're like, oh, this is tight, that's an issue, that's an issue, mm. this is an issue. And obviously, you know, there's a line between, you know, if, if someone comes to me, I'm not going to be like, these are all your problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's definitely good to see the the main areas that you need to work on, definitely. And that's what a good teacher will, will help you with. And I guess, yeah. like, you know, everyone's different anyway, so you're best aligned plank is always going to look different from the person next to you but it's just bringing people's awareness to the tendencies they might have in their bodies and then yeah Mm, like i like um the the example you did in your workshop where you um asked three guys to get Uh up the front and show their squats and asked which was correct and the correct answer was they all were they just sort of look different because that's where their bodies are at that and I, yeah, I thought that was a great way of illustrating that point. Do you have any other techniques you use to illustrate a similar point of people's bodies being different and people perhaps being, you know, happy about where they're at? Yeah, I guess that's kind of the, it's again, educating and trying to explain to people that where you perceive that you want to be long term or, you know, that's a great goal to have, but, you know, where you're at today is, is 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 the right place that you're at and you're just working as well as you can for where you're at today mm-hmm. um i think that's kind of a big thing for motivation as well realizing that if you repeat you know if you're not perfect at something from the start it's okay a big thing with new skills for for everyone is i don't want to do it because i look silly you know oh you know i'm not i'm not perfect at it so or i'm not I don't have this amazing position, so I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna address that at all. Or I'm not gonna go to yoga because I'm not flexible enough. Yeah, exactly. And I, I actually started doing salsa dancing with my girlfriend last year, and it was such a good experience for me because, first of all, I'm very bad at dancing, <laughs> but also it was really, it was really good to kind of, I got a perspective of how a new client would feel coming into the gym. For me, a gym or a yoga studio, like I've been doing this for, you know, I've been in the gym for 12 years. It's automatic. I've been in yoga for six or seven years. I feel really comfortable in them environments. Going into a salsa class, I was like, oh, you know, everyone's looking at me. And I was like, wow, this is how people feel. And it was really good to empathize with clients as a result of that. Sometimes you can think, well, I don't feel that way. So they should feel the way I feel, even though I have 12 years experience doing this thing. Um... So, yeah, I think that that's a good thing from a point of view of not being afraid to start new things, uh, realizing, oh, you know, everyone starts here. You know, everyone has to go through that phase of being uncomfortable or not good at something. Mm. You know, it's not like we all wake up and we're naturally amazing at whatever we're, we're good at today. We have to work and practice it a lot. 
and yeah that's a really there's a really good book called mindset by carl dweck and it's all about no one is like naturally amazing at things okay someone might be better at certain things than others but like if you actively practice something you're going to improve it's as simple as that like if you are oh i'm not i'm just not flexible you know i've never been flexible and you ask that person how how much time have you put into your flexibility they're probably going to say i've never done it because i'm not good at it and then you ask them what are you good at it's like oh i'm good at playing the piano and it's like how often do you do that <laughs> done that every day for the last 12 years you know so it's kind of that mindset shift is a huge thing and we all have them self-limiting beliefs so when i was in school I was, you know, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that, and uh, I'll never be good at this. And you bring that into your adult life and it makes you fearful to actually try things as well. Especially like, because often sport at school is really competitive. So Mm. if you're not good at it, you're kind of letting the team down and you Mm -hmm. feel like an idiot. And it puts you off like physical movement just to feel good in your body or something that's not a competition. Exactly. And it's not the person's fault. It's like, if you're if you had a bad bad experience like oh i wasn't good at team sports and no one ever picked me uh it's, it's yeah kinda, why would i want to go to the gym that's yeah, humiliating yeah. yeah and then no one has ever told them you know for me when i read that book i was like why didn't anyone tell me this 15 years ago <laughs> you know <laughs> so yeah it's it's just a really good kind of framework or really good understanding for everyone to know especially kids like that mm. should be in all schools that mm. book should be definitely mm. yeah it's actually one of the reasons why I really love teaching yoga in schools because yeah. I just thought sport in school was kind of boring and pointless and I wasn't very mm. good at it. So mm-hmm. I love being able to bring in another way of connecting with your body yeah. that's not a sport. Definitely. Just to comment on the GMB method, after I was ill and had my stomach removed, I actually, mm. I actually well, I started off practicing some gentle Pilates and stretching and then you know, gradually went back to a yoga class. But I... After that, I started the GMB Rings One program. Oh, awesome! Yeah, and I did the beginner level. I was, you know, mm-hmm. um, but my my strength, like, you know, I actually, you know, I tracked it. I, you know, mm-hmm. did everything. I like towards the end, I sort of trailed off a bit, but my strength actually improved drastically during mm-hmm. during the time of that. And yeah, I found it really effective for me. So yeah, I fully love what those guys do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The programs are and really yourself. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I've got a question. Mm-hmm. I know everyone's different and mm-hmm. everyone's got different goals, but just mm-hmm. as a kind of guideline, how much time do you think is a good amount of time to put into a physical practice to kind of feel some benefits from it each week? Yeah, so I would say the World Health Organization, they recommend 30 minutes, five days a week or 30 minutes, seven days a week. That's probably the least amount you should be doing of, of some sort of movement, some sort of activity. Like that would be maintaining health, but you wouldn't necessarily feel like you're getting stronger. Yeah, doing that. exactly. It just, it so just depends on the individual mm-hmm. so much, you know, and it depends on you, your background, like your movement background, your, your family, your, you know, if you have kids, what your job is like, all of these things are really, really important to to look into so I don't have kids you know I'm, I'm in a relationship with my girlfriend but um, I have time to train and it's my job you know so it's important it's very very important to me um, 
so how much I train and how much a general population office worker trains is is very different but I guess it's trying to understand as well that you know if you don't like training or anything like that that's completely fine or you don't like going to the gym no problem with that but as a human being it's not normal not to move you know just because it's becoming normal now in modern society it's really not normal over the course of our history we've always moved you know, we've always been active as humans. So just understanding that as well and then finding something that you like. So, you know, so many people don't like the gym. And I guess if even if you don't like classes or anything like that, do you like dancing or hiking or anything active? It doesn't matter. You don't have to do like a GMB program to qualify, you know. I think that's the biggest thing for people. They just have, have had a bad experience with the gym they don't like it and then that kind of closes a lot of doors for them as well so I would just try and reframe it to oh I I should be moving every day or I should be moving a few yeah I should be moving every day and even you just start small with everything so if you can't if you can't fit any time into your day you just basically you know walk further so get public transport or walk to work or park your car further away from where you're going and just build it into stuff you're already doing that's probably the easiest thing and just making it try not to make it overwhelming for you you know starting a lot of motivation doesn't really last that's the big thing as well so a lot of times when someone will come to me or they'll something will happen and they'll be like I've had it you know I'm going to join the gym or I'm going to see a PT it's because they're sick of the how they feel or how they look or anything like that and they're motivated and they might be like oh, I'm going to do six days a week for two hours a day but after a month that's gone that motivation's finished and six days a week for two hours is probably not sustainable so it's just finding something that works for your lifestyle that's the key and I guess the flip side of that is I know people who feel sore every day mm. and that's kind of their reality. Mm-hmm. In my mind, that doesn't seem imbalance. Mm-hmm. What are some signs that people maybe should look out for if they're at the other end of the spectrum and they're really motivated and they're perhaps overtraining? Yeah. Okay. So the biggest thing would be sleep. When your sleep drops off, that's a very good sign that you're overtraining. Also energy levels. So you'll find... Yeah, if your your energy levels will start dropping as well, uh, you're just kind of you know. I earlier this year I went through a phase of overtraining. Um, sometimes you don't really realize until you're in the middle of it as well, and you just because uh, you probably feel like you're improving. Yeah, and like you yeah. know you're getting results, and that's mm. motivating. So it makes you want to train more. Exactly. Yeah, and it's I think it all comes back to for me anyway. Sleep is like it's huge. So I if I don't get enough sleep then I'm I'm run down or tired and I'm still I might still train and then it can have a negative knock-on effect so just kind of ensuring that you're getting seven hours minimum I'd say but I'm saying that because I find that quite difficult myself because I'm up at 4 30 in the mornings wow um so it can be challenging uh yeah so that would be a big thing and also nutrition nutrition's huge so if you're eating mostly you know minimally processed foods making sure again being self-aware like how things make you feel so for me dairy is not good for me i break out in acne on my back gluten doesn't agree with me either fine i'm really sensitive to sugar and coffee as well even though i love 
like I love coffee so much but if I have even just a daily cup of coffee it's a bit too much it messes up my energy levels so that would be a huge thing as well nutrition so sleep nutrition and then being being kind of being self-aware is a big thing as well to the soreness kind of level Mm -hmm. say someone was feeling sore after a big workout the day before yep um what would you recommend like good to stretch maybe Mm. do some mobilizing or just rest i think movement is the key in everything so there's a lot of research now about injuries and if you have an injury the best thing is to actually keep moving but obviously you know if you hurt your ankle you're not going to do box jumps or anything like that but it promotes blood flow so that's what you want as soon as you feel okay you should be moving if it's it's called dams like muscle soreness delayed onset muscle soreness trying to do like a just gentle movement promoting blood flow to the areas that are are quite sore and understanding that you shouldn't be aiming to feel sore every time you know generally dams is a result of doing something that you're not used to so if you did let's say i started doing the rings program again on wednesday and i was quite sore on thursday and friday but like i shouldn't be like that all the time that's not i'm probably pushing myself way too hard if i am so yeah gentle gentle movement the next day is the best way to go rest is generally you know uh, unless you're completely wiped you should do some you know just walking or something like that anyway yeah it's interesting you say about that because i know some people seem to regard doms as a measure of how successful their workout was you know if they're not sore then they don't think yeah then they should have smashed it harder yeah with this gmb stuff you're doing how do you work within that method while being able to express your own individuality and and the individuality of the students yeah that's a really good question i think ryan the head coach from gmb he always makes it very clear that he doesn't want a bunch of little ryans running around (laughs) and basically parroting what he's telling people so i think it's you know understanding the system you know it's the the gmb system it's no good if everyone is completely just changing it so having the main components of it but then putting in yeah my own personal touch on it kind of like if you have let's say a speech to learn off and you want to do the speech publicly you're better off you know reading it getting the gist of it and just kind of speaking comfortably about the topic in your own words so with that i have i use the gmb framework with my own coaching with my own training as well and then i put in elements you know i put in elements of yoga and i put in elements of meditation and breathing as well so a lot of my sessions i'll usually finish with a body scan with people like a kind of a shavasana and just get them i guess get them being more mindful and self-aware but I guess the thing is GMB's philosophy is about mindfulness so it seems to very much complement my own philosophy as well it works well it's it's a, that's a big thing that kind of brought me and attracted me to the system was that it integrated kind of a lot of the elements that I had already from yoga meditation and you know personal training and sports science and it was a good kind of halfway meeting point for both of them so that's kind of what brought me to it yeah and in the individuality of the student would probably be going back to just letting them know that the way i'm demonstrating something isn't the way that they have to do it it's just understanding that their body is where it is today and that's completely fine you know that's another thing that i like about the philosophy of the of gmb is it's not uh, it's very accessible to everyone 
everyone feels that they can they can do it and we also have a lot of a lot of our coaches are circus performers or circus coaches and what they like about it is that it's very much you're teaching people from the ground up so if you go to a circus class they might tell you to do you know we're going to work on this skill today and it's like a really advanced skill like you know circus performers are, are super strong and advanced and there's no stepping stones mm-hmm. so if the person has a background in that and you can just tell them to do that great but if the person is like a regular person who doesn't have any background and they want to start learning these skills they there's no stepping stones so like starting from the ground up and really focusing on the fundamentals is is kind of the key to, to get across to the individual as well I guess it's helpful as well that you mainly coach people. So you'd be working with like one person or do Mm. you do a few people at a time in your sessions? Yeah, so I work generally one to eight people. I do mostly one-on-ones and then I do GMB classes as well, which would have up to eight people in the class. Workshops would be a bit bigger. So Mm. So a decent sized workshop I went to. Yeah, Yeah. 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 so anywhere from... But I think it was what we were talking about before the interview about it's nice having the... uh, having been able to really focus on the individual as well so smaller groups i definitely prefer you know giving people that attention another thing i thought was interesting about that workshop is there seemed to be people from quite a variety of backgrounds Mm. there like i spoke to a a lady who came from a a brazilian jiu-jitsu background yeah 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 Yeah. it looked like there are a couple of guys that might look like power lifters or something but they were props rugby props oh right (laughs) yeah yeah right so it was yeah yeah, it was quite a variety is quite is is that a common thing in gmb workshops i think it is but also the overlying benefit people are looking for is to improve their movement Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. to improve their flexibility their control and Mm -hmm. their strength as well but generally it's flexibility and control people realize that they they haven't trained before before mm-hmm. they come to a workshop and as myself as well i used to always just do strength work and i wouldn't focus on flexibility a lot or or actually control or moving through space as well that's part of the reason i started doing salsa dancing was when i went through the the apprenticeship to become a gmb coach or trainer i found all of the movements through space i uh, they were so challenging for me because I had no martial arts background or no dancing background. Yeah, like on gymnastics. yoga, you just stay on your mat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was a huge flag for me. I was like, wow, this is so challenging. And like a lot of my peers were, you know, it was easy. No problem for them. Um, and then since doing salsa, it's really helped with the kind of coordination and movement through space. It's meant to be just one of the best things for your neuroplasticity, right? Yeah. To kind of really hone those that proprioceptive awareness yeah yeah definitely you find it helps with would you say mapping new patterns in the brain mm-hmm. and you find that as well like with the let's just say the bear so for people who are listening it's it's basically you're in an a-frame position which is like a downward dog mm-hmm. and you're you're walking in that position and for some you know some people find it fine but a lot of people it's the, the, the simple coordination of that is their brain is not connecting to their body they found it very, very challenging. And then when you start connecting things, it makes it easier and easier and easier. And that would be really challenging as well for people who, you know, when you're moving around in the world, like you have mm-hmm. a dominant hand and you focus on that side. So to have to mm-hmm. do things with both sides of your body together mm-hmm. is often mm-hmm. not something that you necessarily do that much in your everyday movement. Yeah, we tend to just favor habits. Mm. You know, we use our left hand or right hand. We slouch to the left. We hold ourselves. You know, we lean on our left or right leg and... 
yeah I think that's what I love about coaching people is that you can kind of you use the movements in the gym a lot of them have the it's the postural restoration benefits that you get from them as well so like a, a simple example would be a lot of pretty much everyone who comes in is very tight across the shoulders and chest when you open up them areas and strengthen the back to actually hold yourself in a posturally correct position then the person can actually breathe properly as well and you find that you know they're breathing properly their organs are functioning properly because if you're really really tight across the chest all of these these areas are constricted so it's kind of like when someone like your mother is telling you sit, sit up straight <laughs> and you sit up straight and then you know 60 seconds later you're slouching again because you're your structure isn't able to hold yourself upright. We're all sitting up really straight. As we all start sitting up straight. (laughs) I guess it's all, it's that everyday mindfulness of just that checking in, like, oh, am Mm. I breathing? Mm. Are my shoulders hunched up around my ears? Am I, like, crossing my leg over my other leg, always on that same side? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, another thing I wanted to bring up about that workshop is I really like how you chained all the movements together. Like we did start off with the bear and then mm-hmm. there were sort of progressive variations of the bear and then we'd sort of come back to something we'd done a couple of moves earlier but mm-hmm. with um some more variations and yeah. yeah, it sort of seemed to flow really nicely for me and it was it made it perhaps a little bit easier to take those slight progressions and, mm. and integrate them. Is that something that you've sort of worked on yourself? Is it part of the method or a mixture of both? Yeah, so that's the method. We're really lucky that we have really, really good workshop templates. And there's a huge amount of continuing education for GMB trainers as well, mm. which is, I, I mean, since I qualified in November 2016, I've it's incredible how much coaching I've been receiving since Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. so that's a kind of a constant process of the workshops are always being improved and refined and we have you know trainers all over the world doing workshops and updating and seeing what's working better so it's a really good network and then ryan the the head coach is you know very very just incredible at programming and coaching so he has put together a really you know and it's also from years you know They've been teaching workshops for years and coaching people for years. So the the layout is really, really refined at this stage. And that's kind of, I think, I was saying earlier in the interview, when people see, especially when people come to the workshop, because they have the three hours to actually see, you know, the, the dots are connecting much more from them there. And they're like, oh, wow, this can actually progress to here, which can progress to here, which can lead to this more advanced movement. Oh, wow, that's actually really exciting, you know, and that kind of bleeds into their motivation to keep practicing as well. What was the actual GMB coaching certification process like? Was it intense? Was yeah. It- yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's three months long. Mm-hmm. So it works out that there's a movement component and then there is practical assignments as well Mm -hmm. but I found it was very much about becoming a better person as well like Mm. the values of the company and I think that's a huge thing for for everyone but especially if you're coaching something and you're really living what you're coaching it makes it more it has a stronger impact you know you can really tell quite quickly if you go to you know a yoga studio or a PT or whatever and they're clearly not living what they're teaching you or they're not really interested in it and so doing the three months apprenticeship you it gets you to kind of understand the method more and also develop as a person and also manage time much more as well 
So that's kind of, that was a huge thing. It was about two hours a day, very, very tense training. And then at the end, part of the exam is uh, having a 10 second freestanding handstand, which is a really good, good goal to have as well. So yeah, it was very, very intense, but also so rewarding and kind of a lot of, a lot of light bulbs went off. And, and since then, I think I've really just found that things have really progressed a lot for my own business as well since I started I think it was really last February I went to Austin Texas we had a trainer meet up there and since then I just kind of really found that I yeah my own business kind of took off big time as well uh, after that point and so is your business mainly built on people telling their friends and word of mouth or it's a combination, but I guess it's starting now. More and more people are seeking me out specifically for GMB related training. But it would be a mixture of I work out at Jets in Coburg, so uh, a big box gym, and a lot of it would be coaching. I guess it's easier now to people know what I'm about there now. At the start, it was very much. Like, why are you getting me to crawl on the floor? That's, <laughs> that's just weird. <laughs> but now it's really cool. You go into the gym and like everyone's doing locomotion and it's really people are doing handstands, people are using gymnastic rings and like they weren't doing that stuff before. It was just your traditional kind of big box gym. Um, and then you have more and more people are kind of like, oh, what's, what's all this stuff? And people within the gym are asking about it more. And then through the website as well and the workshops people are wanting to learn more about the the, the method and learn how to practice it themselves as well that's yeah. great and you also like you write um beautifully as oh, well like there was one article that um, me and ran both loved and it was the 30 life lessons from 30 years yeah um which was like a great read even yeah. if people aren't super focused on a 10 second handstand or any of those things they're just like great like tips for a happy productive life and it just made me happy to read yeah it was really nice yeah (laughs) and i think it's kind of a nice expression of your philosophy of Mm. like yep we want to move we want to feel good in our bodies Mm. but also we want to feel good about who we are as human beings yeah yeah yeah, did you have any like favorites from that list yeah i think the first four so the first one was your problems are your greatest teachers, mm. which is just like a very, very. Um, I'll say an amen to that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, so I think at the time when you're going through a difficult phase in your life, it's you can be quite like, why, why is this happening to me? Or you know, and can turn into kind of a victim mentality as well, which is is never a good thing. But if you kind of again reframe every problem as oh you know there's a lesson here like i'm learning something from this and if you find you'll always find i think it was on um the tim ferris show i don't know if you know that podcast Mm -hmm. all of his guests all of these super successful people are like yeah that 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 problem ended up being the greatest success Mm -hmm. you know like i learned so much from that issue and looking back at my own life you know all of these issues that i've had or problems or people as well who have been difficult have taught me the most lessons mm. just like you mentioned before your your trip to india being really difficult yeah. and it sounds like you just grew so much out of that yeah exactly yeah. and i think it's the quote true times of adversity we grow the most and that's so true you know so that would be first 
that would be the biggest thing definitely and then i'm just trying to think that what they are now <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh, put you on the spot <laughs> authenticity mm-hmm. it's a huge thing as well mm-hmm. much harder when you're younger definitely to be authentic with, and true when to you're yourself. not sure who you are yeah yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah yeah and then i think there's a really good article about the five biggest regrets of the dying so it was a woman who was working in a cancer clinic um is it palliative care i think it was i think it was a palliative care nurse i think i remember this article and the you know one of the regrets was not living a life that i was true not having the courage to pursue a life that was was true to me and Mm -hmm. i think that's it's a huge thing whatever it is that you it doesn't matter what it is but you kind of know if the path that you're on isn't serving you and you don't feel it doesn't feel like it's energizing you so i find that that's a huge thing not to be you know not to be living with regret like oh i should have done that you know do it and then you know if it was right or not if you don't do you're always going to wonder oh what if what if what if what if you know so just do it fail awesome you'll Uh, learn from that yeah great (laughs) you'll probably learn a lot and it might bring you down another step that you didn't even expect and then you know i wouldn't have gotten to that next step if i didn't fail doing the thing i thought i wanted to do you know, so yeah, they're probably the two the two big ones from the from the blog post. This could be a mildly controversial question, but mm. I guess bringing it back to yoga, I'm just mm. wondering as a movement practice as opposed to say a meditative or mm-hmm. you know um, philosophical practice, do you feel that there's some areas that are perhaps lacking? Yeah, so I I think overall it's really it's amazing like mm-hmm. i'll use the we'll use the ashtanga primary series as an example mm-hmm. it's a really thorough practice one of the things i think that it's lacking is for the individual you mightn't be able to access a lot of the postures which is a huge thing and if you have a good teacher awesome they'll be able to actually guide you to the the stepping stones so you can access the posture and get the benefits of it as opposed to causing pain. You think you have some lotus pose shapes? Yeah, yeah. that or even back bending. I found mm-hmm. when I was in on my way over here in two thousand, the end of two thousand fifteen, I I stopped in Mysore again to do uh, a month of Ashtanga, and I was doing you know six days a week, six mornings a week, really intense practice, and I was getting loads of back pain because from bridging, and everyone was just telling me to breathe through it, and it was fine, but. I, like now for what I've learned since then there's loads of props and adjustments I could have done to make that much more accessible to me at the time um that would be one thing um which I guess comes back to the the teacher really then the other thing would be it's a lot of pushing so it's a lot of pressing a lot of like forward pushing movements like mm-hmm. you're going into plank or chaturanga there's not a lot of you know movements where you're pulling the shoulders back and building up the the strength of the back uh so rowing movements um like chin ups mm-hmm. or inverted rows or bent over rows would be definitely a good supplement to have along with your yoga practice mm-hmm. and then having something that builds more stability through your structure so something like a deadlift can be really, really beneficial as well for building strength through the body you'll find that a lot of a lot of people who gravitate towards yoga are naturally bendy as well so their thing 
might be that they need to focus more on strength and control as opposed to flexibility. And this is where the kind of the AAA frame, framework, you can really use that again in everything. So they would be the, the big things I would find personally. If I do a lot of yoga, I I think it's fantastic. It's a really, really, like it's a it's an amazing tool and a gift for all of us to, to have. But I think there's definitely uh, areas that you need a more individual approach. So you're following a sequence, but it's not for you, you know, so there's areas of that sequence that you're going to need to adjust for your own body and to, to benefit your own body as well. Yeah. And like that self-knowledge and self-inquiry yeah. is totally part of yoga yeah. as well, even if you have to kind of branch into movements that might not be traditional exactly. in that style. Are there anything that other movement modalities could perhaps incorporate from yoga that they haven't already? And I know, I guess, uh, GMB does incorporate a mm. lot of these sort mm. of meditative and mm. mindfulness practices. I think what I love about Ashtanga is the emphasis on the breath. So if you're in like a, an Ashtanga class and everyone, you can just hear the Ujjayi breathing. And it's very, even when you, you know, you'll do your postures and you'll, f you'll forget about bringing your attention back to the breath but just having that reminder constantly I think there's probably no other practice that there's such an emphasis on the breath um that's what I think is probably the most for me anyway yeah the most beneficial part of it um and also I guess for a lot of people meditation can be very very difficult at the start to sit and be quiet so having like a movement based meditation practice using yoga class to practice just moving mindfully is definitely going to be a benefit beneficial thing for a lot of people especially if you're one of these people who you can't sit still or you're just not at, at a point where you can you can sit down for 10 or 10 or 15 minutes i know when i started meditating before i went to india i was kind of trying it because there was all of these bloggers were talking about it and I, I you know I'd sit down for five minutes and I'd be like looking up my eye and it's like <laughs> 45 seconds has passed yeah. and then I would just you know after three or four minutes it was just very very difficult so I think yeah definitely having a, a movement-based practice can be very good for people who are very active already in, in their heads which is probably all of us <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's the biggest shortcut into meditation to have a breath focused movement practice yeah. first by the time you get to the meditation you're so much more ready for it yeah that's why it's so nice that you do the body scan guided relaxation at the end of your training sessions yeah like even yeah. if people I don't know even if they're not resistant to meditation or they find it really challenging I think that that is the moment where it's the most accessible yeah for people mm -hmm. and sometimes being a bit tired helps as Definitely. well <laughs> yeah yeah for sure or at least having physically released some tension in your body. Yeah, mm. big time. Yeah, mm. that's that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the, the body scan would be a particularly good way of sort of assessing what you've done with your mm. body. So Yeah, mm. yeah that's a really nice check-in. Yeah. It's yeah. not goals-based. It's yeah. just feeling into, you know, what's happening for me right now. Right now, exactly. You've spoken about it briefly, but um, you're, you're also a nutrition coach. Perhaps you mm. could talk about that a little bit more. So I'm a precision nutrition coach. Coach. and precision nutrition would be the i guess the world leading habit-based nutrition organization and i certified with them back in 2011 so that was a really really 
good I think I was talking about it earlier in the interview about at the start of my coaching career I would look at people and or I would tell someone to do something and then they, they wouldn't do it and you know it was their fault it wasn't mine I'm, I'm giving them all the information that they need to actually get results and with precision nutrition you break things down into into food skills or food habits and give people just a little bit at a time so i think the biggest problem and it's it's clearly like the diet industry is not working people are getting it's not like we've solved the obesity crisis at all it's uh, even though it's a multi-billion dollar industry and going on a very very restricted diet it can have benefits if you have you know some serious chronic issues but from a point of view of long long long-term sustainability it's not working for people at all and that's the kind of process people are in as going into a really restricted diet plan doing it for four weeks or six weeks or 12 weeks and then realizing like this is not working i'm not getting these super quick results or i have gotten the results and i can't maintain this like or like i'm miserable and i'm hungry all the time exactly yeah exactly and then as a result they binge and everything goes out the window so you know just tacking on a habit the main like philosophy is basically you give someone a habit every two weeks and most the biggest response i get is people are like is that it you know really i can do everything now you know i can give me everything so a simple habit would be let's say eat for a female eat eat a fist of protein per meal and a male will be eat two fists of protein per meal so it's really easy straight away you can look at your plate and go that's my fist is that enough protein or not yes or no there's no scales there's no you know the barriers are very very low for someone to actually apply this habit and you know having more protein in your diet helps with satiety helps with hunger and that's kind of a good starting point for people also not we don't really do meal plans so it's good to have you know an idea of what you're going to cook and like go and have a shopping list but actually having this restricted meal plan is not a main priority either from it so yeah i think the biggest thing is having that habit-based approach the person just you know it's a slow process but after you know three or four months they have you know 12 16 of these small little habits and that turns into this actually really solid behavioral patterns for the person and the they're sustainable you know so you can apply them long term as a result generally people find that they once they stick with it they find that it's kind of this effortless integration into their into their regular life and it works really well yeah that's great and i guess that's what you're doing with movement as well just like starting small and you know they're really that the the philosophies really complement each other it's not like we're going to do this insane 45 or 50 minute hit class and you can't walk for four days after it but you're just going to do it anyway it's like where are you at assessing where you're at and then you know addressing and then applying where they're at and you do the same with nutrition you know if the person is coming in and they have no food skills like they don't they, i guess you know it's now people most people know what they should and shouldn't be eating for the most part like they know that that snickers is probably not a good idea <laughs> they know that the salad is is probably a good idea now there are, you know there are loads of things in nutrition that are confusing but the general principles are are pretty basic but it's just the application of them and knowing you know what do i apply now do i eliminate everything and then feel resentment and hate my life because i can't actually live 
or you know do I just tack on a little bit of a little habit every two weeks and then also having this you know 80% roughly 80% of the time you're eating well and then 20% of the time you you, you, you live you Mm. you know and then that's the biggest thing as well is I've gone through this phase as well of being really military with my routines and everything like that and then I don't do it and I get really stressed and I'm like the stress from not doing this positive routine is worse than not having done it at all you know so that's a big thing as well for nutrition with people and kind of all of these habits is do them 80% of the time when life gets in the way okay don't stress too much about it just get on the wagon and back on the like wagon that's part of the system like, exactly yeah, you haven't failed yeah. yeah and like the because precision nutrition have coached so many people now they've coached through their online program over almost 50,000 people so they have a huge sample size and they found you know if your compliance is 95 to 100 percent versus 80 percent there's not really any significant difference only you're probably going to be less stressed about having everything perfectly all the time so 80 percent of the time you know follow your habits and then 20 percent of the time just life <laughs> yeah say someone walks in from the street they've never encountered uh, one of your coaching mm-hmm. or workshop or nutrition coaching before what is the one core thing that you'd like that person to take away from your class from or whatever session you had with them i think a good thing for everyone to to think about whenever they go to a workshop or a class is even if you get one one thing out of it you know if you go to a weekend workshop and you get one positive thing then it was a benefit um what i'd like people or what i try and get across to clients or potential clients is that that i want to help as many people have tools that they can use themselves so if they want to keep coaching with me awesome that's great but I want more and more people to be, you know, have the their own personal toolbox that they can access and they can use themselves for the rest of their lives. Because that's what I have and I'm mm. so grateful for it. Mm. So the more people that we can have with that toolbox, the better off everyone's going to be. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that brings us on to our pick of the week. And I will start with my pick of the week now. Mm-hmm. Mine is the AFLW or the Women's AFL League. I I have a bit of a confession. I actually, in my normal day job, I am a web developer and I've been contracting for the AFL oh, for right. last year or so. And I built their women's website, so I awesome. so I've got a bit of a <laughs> bit of a um. Well, I wouldn't say agenda, but they're actually lovely people to work for. I've had a really good time there. And it's been fantastic working on this and seeing the amount of buzz that has been generated and how many people find you know the the women's league sort of inspirational it's, mm. it's amazing seeing these um these women athletes just doing amazing stuff so i'm i'm actually really proud to be part of that and we'll be going to a match this afternoon at icon park and i'm guessing around the time this podcast comes out that it'll be around the time of the grand final so ah, right yeah so that's that's something to look out for mm-hmm. so yeah aflw 
Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so my pick of the week, it's a bit of a boring one, but for me, essential self-care. We're renovating our home yoga studio at the moment, so I've gone from having this amazing big space that I can just go out and practice and all my stuff is there to like all of that stuff now being in our kitchen and dining room. So I made a real effort to organize everything so that I could have a home practice space, which means I wouldn't have to move a whole bunch of stuff every time. And also so I had an inspiring workspace so that when I sat down to do my admin, which is not my favorite thing, all my plant friends were there and I um, installed the studio sound system. So now I have five speakers of sound to <laughs> inspire me for my admin <laughs> and my home practice. And so I just feel like little things like that are a really good way to keep you on, pra- on track mm-hmm. with kind of feeling good about your everyday life. Because I just get cranky and frustrated if I'm always moving stuff around to do the things I mm-hmm. need to do. And it's such an incentive to doing your own movement practice if you're, you know, you've got to move your couch every time. My pick of the week, there is a really, really big GMB workshop in Brisbane. (laughs) (laughs) So I wish I could go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Ryan, the head coach, is coming over and he's going to be conducting with uh, Junior, our lead trainer in Brisbane, a two-day workshop on the 28th and 29th of April. So that's a huge event for anyone who wants to, to really get a get an idea of the GMB method in person. If you're Melbourne-based and you can't travel, I have a workshop the week before as well on the 21st. So that'll be in Brunswick uh, Locomotion Workshop as well. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah. And we'll put the link of that in the show notes awesome. so people can find you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks so much. Yeah, oh, thank been... you so much. Great to talk to Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Really appreciate it. So that was our conversation with Connor. I found him to be incredibly smart and articulate and I really enjoy his perspective on physical movement and just in life. Now for our next episode we have an interview with Kira Stewart. If that surname sounds familiar it's because she's our sister-in-law. Kira is a doula based in the rainbow region of northern New South Wales. She has a positive and conscious approach to childbirth. So though this episode isn't strictly about yoga I think you'll find this episode incredibly interesting especially if you or someone you know is expecting a child soon now Kira was in town for a doula conference in Melbourne so we thought we'd take the opportunity to snap her up and have a bit of a chat with her now if you haven't already we would absolutely love if you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, Podbean or wherever you get your podcast from it would really help us spread the word Finally, we would really love to hear from you. You can drop us a note on our website at podcast.flowartist.com or look for us on Facebook or Twitter. We have a great group going on Facebook. If you have anything to share about this episode, if anything resonated with you, we would love to get your feedback. The theme song in this podcast is Baby Robots by Go Soul and used with permission. Do yourself a big, big favor and get us music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. Thanks once again, big, big love.